Shreveport, NC. This is Mark 1, 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to dismiss our school-age kiddos and teachers to the back. All right. Let's go. We got a great team back there today. Uh, Good morning. Uh, In case you don't know, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Some days you need that. Um, I am really excited to be here this morning. We're in Mark 1, as uh, Lindsay just read. And it's a long week uh, for me, uh, but being in this text this week and... um, Getting to like just kind of sit in that being back in a text is so refreshing. And I really believe that God has something, I believe, special for us today as we walk through this text. The greatest trick of the enemy, uh, of Satan, of the accuser, is to deceive us on what is real. To deceive us on what is real. Have you ever... Maybe you've experienced this or you've seen someone you know experienced this, a person you, you thought kind of had good sense and you look up and their life is in shambles or your life has been in shambles and I've experienced this because of choices you never thought you would make. But deception here leads to deception there and deception breeds deception and this deception and this foolishness expands and it expands and it expands because the enemy wants to deceive you, deceive me, deceive the world of what is real, what is true, what is right, and what is beautiful. And too many times, not just the world, we look at the world, oh, the world is so deceived, and I believe that is true. But even amongst us in the church, those who call ourselves a part of the flock, followers of Jesus, if we're honest, too many times we are deceived and deceived and deceived. And the problem is deception multiplies. Deception progresses. Typically, when we were deceived on this little thing, if we keep walking in deception, it becomes a much, much bigger issue. Uh, think about this. It starts in a marriage many times where you kind of stop communicating and the vows that you said in front of friends and family and God 10 years ago become less true and you believe this lie and you meet a person at work and you believe the lie they validate you and are giving you something your spouse does not and you believe that lie and then you meet here and you believe the lie that that's okay and you do this because you're justified and deception just multiplies and it grows and it grows 
teenagers, a lot of you had dances last night, and I saw that I had like flashbacks to bad times for myself, really bad times. This might surprise you. I am not a great dancer, um, and I'm thinking about being like 15, 13, 16 years old. And here's a lie that you that the enemy just preys on young people. And I think it's worse now today because of social media. It's this lie right here that if you find that one person, a, a really good friend or, or a friend group, or if you find like the gold mine, the opposite sex, they see you, they think you're cool, you're good looking, and they want to be with you. And as a teenager, we tend to like put our identity and our hope in those things. And what happens is you believe that lie. And you, you make one choice you know you shouldn't make. And you go deeper. You believe the lie more. And you, you look up over weeks and months of believing that lie and trying to find hope in a person or a people group. And you look up and you don't know the kid you are anymore. And you're so scared your parents are going to find out what you've been doing and who this secret person might be. Because deception, it always multiplies. It always multiplies. Me this week, I got annoyingly sick. And I, and I honestly, I was just, I was like ticked off at God. I was like, you know that thing, you don't have time for this? I don't have time for this. I've got this to do. I've got, almost like, God, do you not know my plans, my schedule that I made? Why would you, why would you, I have good things planned. Almost like, how dare you, God, to get Jason Wood sick? How could you do that? And I believe that lie. I believe lie that he wasn't a good father. He was an indifferent father. Or that maybe he was punishing me for something that I've done. I believe these lies. And the deception, so I paid back God. I was like, oh, you know what I'm doing, God? I'm going to ignore you this week. Netflix, here we go. Turn God off, turn Netflix on. And I just feel, you ever felt your soul just exhausted? You just felt beat down? And I think the word that we, when we kind of start believing the lie and walk away from the truth of reality is we start becoming hopeless, numb, apathetic. And I was there this week. Gosh, I was there this week. I forgot what was real, what was true, what was right because of some adversity from a bug, an illness. And I think many of us are in these patterns. We're just stuck in the rut of what is not real. And we've lived in this not real for so long, I think we're kind of mired in it, we're lost in it. And I believe some of us today are might be even hopeless in the midst of what is not real. But I do wanna tell you today, there is good news. And we're gonna find it in scriptures today in Mark 1. Mark is interesting. Mark is like that friend that you meet. He, he's the text message friend. He gets right to the point. He doesn't want to talk about what's going on or flowery language or this. He says, no, this happened, this happened, this happened. But Mark's words are like pregnant with lots of meaning. In little bits of space, he really unpacks a lot for us. 
And, and the verses today that Lindsay just read, he, he unpacks or he recaps in a sense, the history of the world, of the universe. And he describes for us, we're going to see today, what I believe is a foundational reality of, of the world and how we can live in that reality. It all starts in verse 9. Uh, let's go back. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. He was in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. Uh, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, he's in this, but he's kind of a side character. We have three main characters in this passage here. Verse 10, the first main character is Jesus, God the Son. Second character, verse 10, as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open. I can't even imagine this. And our second character comes in. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. We have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. And now in verse 11, we see God the Father. And a voice came from him saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. Mark is writing in such a way to, that we see the Godhead here for a very specific reason. This language of the water and the spirit descending draws us back. Literally, Mark is drawing us back to the creation narrative in Genesis 1. He wants us to see this parallel between this baptism and the very beginning. Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the water depths and the spirit of God which you see at the baptism like a dove, was hovering over the surface of the waters. Mark is drawing the reader. He's drawing us back into the, this time before the world existed, where creation started. And he wants us to see what reality is. He wants us to see what the foundation for everything is. See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit was there at creation. And here in Mark 1, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit here at the recreation of the world, at this new creation. See, at the very beginning, before everything, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit lived in perfect harmony, in perfect love with one another. And then out of this great love they have for one another, they create. They create mankind. They create the universe that we can't even fully understand and explain. They create the seas, the mountains. They create everything out of this beauty, out of this love, out of this perfect harmony. It was this project of the triune God. And hear this, as Jesus comes here in Mark 1, as he's beginning his ministry, as it starts here with baptism, there is this sign that they are starting a project again, a new creation project together. Think about this, the people, can you imagine being there that day at the Jordan? They got this brief picture of the party that's been going on forever between the Father, the Son, the Spirit. You ever go to a park and you walk up and they're having like this family reunion where they're like, they're laughing, they, they have their inside jokes, they have this thing and you just kind of step back and you admire the love of that family. What they're seeing that day is the greatest party 
reunion, family gathering we can even imagine. And this is reality. More than anything else in our world, the reality that a triune God, out of love, being at the center of everything, creation, can help us learn, understand about what is true, what is right, what is well, what is beautiful, and how we live our life today. There's two things we see about this reality. First, the reality means of of this three God in one. This reality is that we are founded with love. Reality is founded in love. The universe is rooted in love. Jesus coming, hear this, Jesus coming himself, getting baptized was literally him submitting and loving the Father. The Father sent the Son, the Son in perfect love. Hear this, Jesus Christ did not hesitate when the Father said go. He did not hesitate. There's perfect love between the Father and the Son. The Son responds perfectly to the Father. And the Son submits to him. And he goes and he gets baptized. But as he gets baptized, the Spirit descends down like a dove to envelop Jesus with what? With love. To show him love. It's this picture of the Son submitting, loving the Father. The Spirit coming and loving the Son. And the next thing we see is the Father what? speaking this great word of love over the Son. And we see this picture that's been going on for infinity of perfect, submissive love for one another. John 17 says this, Jesus praying to the Father in heaven says this on our behalf. Father, I want those you have given me, his church, his people, us in this room, to be with me where I am. So that they, so that we will see his glory, which you've given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. This great love story happening forever for infinity. Love is at the beginning, at the center, at the end of everything. And this love leads to our second reality. Reality is communal. Nothing makes sense in this world outside of other people. It's the offshoot of love. Community is love lived out. And we see perfect community within the Godhead. See, the community of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, the Spirit, is is different than what we know because, hear this, it's not self-seeking. It's not self-glorifying. If we're honest, most relationships we have today, when we do good, if we're honest, sometimes the end in mind is us being loved ourselves. We don't love simply to lift up. We love to get back. We love to be made the center. But within the Godhead, there is this beautiful deference. And we see this. Scripture tells us that Jesus, the life of Jesus, this human God-man lived on earth, is the perfect picture of who God is. If you have questions And if you're here today and you have questions about your faith, I think today is maybe the best sermon you could hear. But if you have questions about who God is, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't look at this. Don't look at that. Look at Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see a perfect picture of God. Multiple times, Jesus said he's simply here to do his father's work submissive love, deferential love. 
look at him kind of love. Not me, him. He glorifies the Father. And he says multiple times, it's better for him to go and for the Spirit to come. Not me, but him. It's this perfect love. In this passage, we should see the Father and the Spirit glorify the Son. It's a beautiful picture of exalting and deferring to one another. Tim Keller says this, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving each other. That means relationships of love is what life is all about. This is why when Jesus is corner, like what hangs everything? He says, love God, love neighbor. Everything hangs on these things. What you see with God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, their lives orbit around one another. It's this beautiful, submissive love orbiting around each other. And the problem is that we orbit around ourselves. But see, we inherently, it's literally built in our DNA. We're made in the image of a, of a triune, three-in-one God. We're, we're built on love and community. That life is fundamentally about life and people. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I would have worked more or bought more boats. No one says that on their deathbed. <laughs> Especially me, I get seasick very easily. Um, there are stories out there. Um, it's bad. Think about the things that we give ourselves over to, the shows that we watch. About shows or TV shows are always about friendships. The show Friends, we watched for like 20 seasons and, and watching to this day because there was this community of people that were always there for each other. What's that? What's the theme song? I'll be there for you, right? We, we, there's something baked in us that is just dying for covenantal love. Love that says this, I see you fully and I love you fully. In your bones, we ache for that, don't we, friends? It's why we give ourselves over to these kind of things. We see this community and we long for it. It's why we see movies about romantic love, uh, about this rescuing kind of love, about I'll look past your flaws and love you anyway kind of love. We long for it. Or, or we go to these movies where these people literally sacrifice themselves for the sake of their friends. They give their life away so that their friends can find life. This heroic kind of love. It's built into all of our stories, friends, because built into us is this desire for eternal, never-ending, never-giving-up, Godhead kind of love. That is reality baked into us, his people. And if that is ultimate reality, it has huge implications because the world says this. The world says, you know, relationships are nice. People are nice, but they're not the point. The point is to work hard, get you a really cool ATV, do this, get you this kind of stuff and live your life in peace. That's the point of life. And friends, I think the church has joined that fake reality, friends, and we're hollow and we're tired and we're anxious and we're hopeless and we're apathetic because we're hoping for the wrong reality. The Godhead is utterly different. Mutual self-giving love. Tim Keller calls this the dance of joy. Each one pouring out love, serving, deferring. 
ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving each other, and God has been doing it forever. And he created us a long time ago. He created humanity to enter that relationship, to enter that dance, so to speak. But humanity turned away. We turned away. Our love curved inward and didn't curve outward. And everything was broken. But today, Mark wants us to see this. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to understand and illuminate this. Hear this. That we moved away, but Jesus moves towards. We said, no, we don't want to be part of this dance. But Jesus says, no, I'm coming back for you. We left the dance. He wants to bring us back in. The greatest need of your life of my life, of our life, is to be in that dance, is to be in that relationship, to be there with the Godhead, the most beautiful, life-giving love we can imagine. And the good news is that we moved away, but Jesus got close. Jesus came after. Jesus was the warrior that said, no, 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 no. I want my people with me. He was the king who came back for his people. He was the shepherd who went and found the lost sheep. We are the flock that he came to die for. And there's three things we're going to see in this text today of how Jesus brought us back in. And if we can see these things and, and hope and believe in these things and walk in these things, I believe it can transform how we live. It can transform how we reflect back this love to a really hurting world. For first way that Jesus brings us back in. First, Jesus identified with us. It's through his baptism we see right here in these first verses that he identifies with us. Newsflash, Jesus did not need to be baptized. He did not hear the VBS message and said, uh-oh, uh-oh, I better get that fixed, get that locked down. It wasn't a Ken Freeman sermon. It was just like Jesus, that's an old school Baptist joke right there, like five in this room get that. But for you five, that was for you. Through his baptism, he identifies with us. He identifies with our sin. Mark Dever says it this way. I love this. The baptism is the beginning of his humiliation as he faithfully submits the Father's will and he willingly identifies himself with sinful humanity. It's no more odd for Jesus to be baptized in the Jordan River than for him to hang on the cross at Calvary as the sinless and spotless Son of God. He identified with us. 2 Corinthians 5, I love the words of Paul here. I think it just, it perfectly encapsulates this. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In identifying with us, Jesus shows his great love for us. Uh, me and the family went out, did a little shopping yesterday, and it's happening. Christmas is here, I think. At least the music is in the stores. And I'm not going to lie to you. I loved it. If you want to throw stuff at me, oh, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving too. I'm thankful. Bring me some turkey, I guess. Turkey's okay. Anyways, it's here. 
And the Christmas season is all about this. It's all about Jesus identifying with his people. It's all about Emmanuel, God with us, God with his people. It's the incarnation. Here's the good news as he identifies with us. He didn't just send an email. It struck me this week. He was bothered for us. I think in our world of going so fast, in our world of productivity, in our world of efficiency, one of the greatest gifts of love we give each other is just our time and being bothered. And Jesus was bothered for his people. And he didn't hesitate, friends. He loved to be bothered for his people because he loves freely. He loved all the way to death. He reminds us of this once again, this communal Godhead love. Love is losing yourself for the sake of others. So Jesus taught this right here, right? That to lose your life is to find your life. And what he was explaining was what the Trinity has been doing from the beginning. He's inviting us to play. You want to play the game? You want, oh, you want this kind of life? Oh, here's how, you, here's how you play. Here's how you kick. You got to lose your life. And he identified that by being baptized. When he had no need, he was bothered for us. He put on flesh for us. So that when I'm sick this week, guess what? Jesus got sick. He understood what it was like to hurt physically, emotionally, have friends betray him because he was bothered for his people. Jesus identified with us. There is no other path to this life in Christianity except death to self. That is the path to life. And Jesus, our forerunner, he took it on on purpose. He said, here we go. He identified as sinful, as, as sin and as being human so that we could identify as brothers and sisters in Christ. He took the sin, the pain, we get the reward. We get the family. We get the Father. And here's why. So that the Father's words spoken over him that say, oh, my son, I am so pleased with you. Because of him identifying with us. Hear this good news, friends. Now those words are spoken over us. Amen? Him seeing us because he identified with us. He says this right here. Hey, you back there. My son, I am well pleased. You know, friends, that validation we all seek it's not just us teenagers. It's not teenagers, is it? When you're 14, you want it. When you're 30, you want it, right? That validation that says you are enough, that you have arrived, that you are this, is not found in more money. It's not found in more acceptance. It's not found in more work. It's found in the words of the Father saying, in you, I am well pleased. And we get that affirmation today, friends, because Jesus said, Jesus did identify with us as people. but he didn't simply identify. He didn't just like understand. He wasn't just there with us as a really good friend. That's really, it's beautiful, it's loving, but it doesn't end there. What we see here in this, in this passage is much like in our lives, when this beautiful picture of identity or of salvation, of this great moment happens, many times what comes next is the wilderness. And we see that here in verse 12. So, he identifies with us, and then he's out into the wilderness in verse 12. It says here, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. 
He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Once again, Mark gets right to the point. Other gospels get a lot more detailed about this, but here's the point. He was tempted and he did not sin. So he identified with us and second, Jesus overcame for us. Jesus overcomes temptation. Jesus passed that first test where he submitted to the Father and he identified with humanity and he was baptized. But would he pass this second test? The same spirit he had seen in the vision, the baptism, led him now into this lonely, dangerous, discouraging wilderness where he faced all the attacks of the enemy. And Mark simply shows the enemy did not defeat him. And here's what's interesting. For the listeners to the gospel of Mark, for the hearers in that day, they were in the midst of persecution. So the sequence of baptism, of spirit, and immediate trial, immediate persecution would help them see that Jesus went through the same thing. Only in Mark do we see this detail about wild beasts. Because in the time of Mark writing this, Christians were being sent to wild beasts for persecution. So if you're a follower of Jesus in this time, you see Jesus overcomes everything, friends. Nothing's going to stop our God. And just as Mark wants to draw parallels to the creation narrative here at baptism, he's then moving to this narrative of, of when man fell, of when Adam fell. See, the apostle Paul has this great thing where he calls Jesus the second Adam. See, the first Adam, if you're not familiar with this, he didn't listen to God. He believed the lies. He partake what he should partake in. And from there, everything fell. But hear this about our Savior and this parallel Mark draws. See, the first Adam, he was in a beautiful garden. He was literally perfection. The second Adam, in the wilderness, just terrible. The first Adam, there's lambs. The animals are in perfect harmony. There's no danger. But the second Adam, the wild beasts are ready to attack. And the first Adam, in the easiest, trust me, we get this, I believe, in the easiest of circumstances succumbs to temptation which in my bones, I understand. I have sinned a thousand times today and my life is good. I am the first Adam. But there's a big difference between the first Adam and the second Adam. The second Adam overcame. The first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. He overcame because we could not overcome. Romans 5 says this, Paul talking about the second Adam, the gift, the gift of his perfect righteousness is what Paul is saying, is not like the trespass of the first Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many? So if the bad works of Adam polluted everything, how much more can the power of the good works of Jesus apply to his people? Because Jesus overcame sin. 
as I wrote this message this week and I was reflecting on this wilderness part of the passage as I shared as I was sick and I feel like I've been in the wilderness for really the past few weeks where I have felt alone, where I felt discouraged, where I felt hopeless, where I felt weak. And I believe many of you today are in the wilderness. If we were to go back here and, and find a room and I say, hey, how's it going? And you were brave to be honest for 10 minutes. You would probably tell me, Jason, I'm in the wilderness. I'm tired. I've heard this. I think I believe this. I know this. But I'm tired. Hear this. The reign of the first Adam is over. It's over. Paul's words here. How much more? How much more can this gift abound to many? The reign of the first Adam is over. Hear this. The second Adam overcame sin. And hear this. If your hope, if your faith, if your trust is in the second Adam, is in Jesus Christ, then today, right now, you are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the Father says, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. He identified, he overcame. Last thing, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. He identified, he overcame. Third thing. Jesus invited us back in. He invited us back in. Jesus announced this. Hear this. There's a new reality. There's good news. There is a new reality today, a new way, a new kingdom. It's finally here. Hundreds of years, they're waiting for this Messiah, for this new way. But it's not an earthly kingdom. It's this different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that rules your heart and that changes the world from the inside out in this slow and unseen way. But it's here. The good news is here. Listen, listen. The good news is here. The king, the creator of love is back to renew his kingdom of love, to make things right, to renew his covenant. It's time to dance again, people. The king has come. See, Jesus invites us and he gives us the passcode. It's like he sent this invitation out and he says, hey, the dance is here. The good news is here. Here's how you get in. And it's two words, repent and believe. If we said earlier that reality is this community of love living for one another in the Godhead, and the greatest need of your life is to get back into orbit with God, and to be back in a relationship with God, then your passcode, your key card to get back in is two words. It's repent, it's belief. This word repent here simply means to change your mind. It's to turn. It's to see things differently. Here's how I'll say it. It's a turn to reality. Our minds have been polluted, deceived, confused, destroyed by the lies of the enemy. And here's my hope today is that our minds are renewed. Our minds are turned back on. We take the red pill, whatever you want to call it. You do the thing to turn your mind, to turn your life back to what is real. And here's what's real. From the very beginning of everything, God the Father saw you, loved you, and came for you. 
That's what is real, church. So turn back to reality. Put off the lies of the world that says you need this, you must do this, find this, do this. No, simply come and sit with him who made the seat for you. Turn to reality. Think of it like this. Think of this. Um, let's just say all of us in this room, we are poor and we are penniless and we have no hope to pay for anything. We've got no food. We got our pets' heads are falling off. We got nothing. That's right. That's right. I did it. But here, here's what I want you to hear today. This is, what, this is what this turned reality is like. We have nothing. But then we get this phone call. And it's from this lawyer. And this lawyer says, hey, Jason, you have great uncle Murray who you've never met. And great uncle Murray has died. Oh, bye, Murray. And, and uncle Murray is dead. But uncle Murray was a billionaire. And Uncle Murray left you everything. Just come and get the check. At that mind, my mind is turned to something else. Where my mind was like, oh, I need food. How will I get this? How will I do this? But then in one phone call, in one message, in one really good news, my mind is turned to something else, friends. And friends, in a much greater way, there's a phone call today from God's word saying this right here. The kingdom of God has come near, and it's good news, church. But there's two things to do. It's to turn your mind away from what you're thinking for, hoping in, giving your life to. To turn your mind to reality, to what is true, what is right, what is beautiful. This turn, this turning of our mind means a few things. First, first thing it means is that you are not the center of your existence. Your orbit must change. Life is not about you. You must turn your mind to that fundamental reality, that fundamental truth. It's the greatest news in the world. Life is not about you. Lose your life. It's not about you. That is reality. Second turn. You are not the center of your goodness. He is. Is that good news or what? It's not up to me. It's not on me. Turn to reality. That's repent, to turn to reality and believe. Believe really means to trust. It's to trust. It's to rely on. You know, when you're a kid and you rely on your parents to bring you food, to make sure you had a bed, take care of you, you didn't doubt that, you just relied on it. That's childlike faith, friends. as we turn our mind to reality and we believe and trust, you're leaning, you're trusting, and you're hoping in something different now. You're not leaning on the bank account. You're not leaning on how good you've done. You're not leaning on a person saying this about you. You're not leaning on this thing at work. You're not leaning on this toy because you've seen, because your mind's turned to what is true, that those things can't support, can they not? Think of it like this. I have a recliner at home. When I sit on that recliner, it's nice and it's firm. I'm a pretty big guy. When I sit on it, I don't worry. When I sit, I sit. I, I, like, woo, I fall back like this. All the trust in the world for my recliner. But sometimes 
those pink chairs last Sunday night at the thing, you check those legs first, right? You sit on it with like one foot like this right here, you know, because you're not relying on that. And too many of us today, we are treating God the same way. That we're going to lean on God, but our foot's right here. And our foot's on something else. Our foot's on our money, on our pride, on our confidence. And those things, friends, cannot support your weight. One thing supports your weight, right? It's him who created everything. So turn to reality and rely on what is beautiful and true and rely on him. Golly. Turn to reality and rely on Jesus. That's it. Turn to reality and rely on Jesus. Turn to what is true and sit back to sit in his seat, in his righteousness, in his security, to sit in his riches, to sit in his goodness, to sit in his perfection and nothing else. That's, that's the life you want, friends. Golly, isn't that good news? Man, I just, it's just, it's good. Okay, let's land this plane. So I'm going to sit that recliner that I trust, right? Amen. How do we do this? Because tomorrow, no, today what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to go search Facebook. And on Facebook, you're going to see Sheila. And Sheila today is going to do 47 crafts with her kids. And <laughs> Sheila is the best mother in the world. And guess what? You're a terrible mother, terrible father. Sheila's the worst, man. Golly. Um, and, and then you're going to see an ad. Ooh, Disney. Um, and my kids would love that. I, I never take my kids. I'm a bad parent. And you're going to start seeing a wrong reality and trying to sit in something else, right? So how do we actively walk in this? Three things. First, you need a community of love. If the foundational reality of existence, of our creation, is a community of love, I have no way you could do this outside of a community of love. Just for one thing, how do you pour out love to other people? You need people besides just yourself and maybe your immediate family. That's the world's way. The world says, I might love others if they're in my household. Maybe. But outside my household, I have nothing to do with them. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, no, just us. Jesus says, who wants to come in, right? And so you need a community of love to help you walk in this. You need people to encourage you. Do you not? Are you, are you over-encouraged right now? No. We're all under-encouraged, are we not? Are you over-challenged by friends right now? Do they know your blind spot and say, hey, watch out for this? No, we're under-challenged, we're under-loved. You need a community of loving people to share a meal with. Do you want to laugh? Friends, don't laugh at memes, laugh at people, amen? Like we're made for one another. The greatest joy we get in life is from one another. And we forget that, I think, because devices and because we're busy and because of Netflix. Those are fine things, but they're lesser things, are they not? So find a community of love. We have groups here. Maybe have friends there. Join on a Sunday. Join in a group. But find a community of love. And if you're here today and you say, golly, I am under-encouraged. I need people because I'm going to forget this, this good news. I'm going to forget it. I beg of you, come find me in the back. Come find Heather or Dave or Luke or Reynolds or any of our staff today and say, I need a community of love to support me, to encourage me, to challenge me. Find that. Write on a card. We will, we will, that, that's our, that is why we're here. These curtains are not here for just their looks. They're here so we have an environment where we can find a community of love. Amen? And maybe today you're in a community, but whoo, you're kind of distant. 
you're like that person right now, like you kind of show up, you bring your Tupperware, you're, not, you're on, the, on the outskirts. I remember people, I, I, we would have group and there'd be people like they would never sit down at my house. Like, is my house dirty? Is my house gross? Maybe it is, that's okay. Um, but don't stand in the back. Take a seat in. Sit at the table. I'll say this, share 10% more with one person than you want to. Because you need to be fully known and fully loved, do you not? But if we're never fully known, we always doubt if we're fully loved. And here's the beauty of the, of, the, of the community of Jesus Christ people, is when a human flesh person through the Spirit of God loves you with that kind of love, it helps you trust in the Father's love more. That makes sense? When the greatest, oh man, oh, this is so good. Whenever I have messed up and then I confess and I confess to that friend or my wife who's so gracious and they don't budge, their eyes are still full of love. My heart remembers again of, oh, his love is steadfast. And it's even steadfast in my wife right now. Don't you long for that? So first thing is you need a community of love. Can we just preach all day, guys? How's that sound? Bring in the Olive Garden, some breadsticks and salad. No salad. Oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Are we rabbits, guys? Why are we eating grass? Um, second, okay, okay, I hear that, Brandon. I'm coming at you. First, community of love. Second, set your mind on reality. Set your mind on reality. Our greatest weapon is the melody. I think there is something supernatural about praising God, is there not? When we just simply sing out great songs. Luke's sermon a few weeks ago on singing. If you listen to it in the podcast, go back, listen to it. On how we all must sing. How there's something supernatural about us singing together to one another, to God, that just changes the aroma of the room. You probably came in today tired and weary, and we sing those great songs, right? And we go, what? Right back to reality. Friends, don't let reality exist only on Sundays or once a month. Reality and, and the praise of God, the worship of God, the renewing of your mind is a daily practice, is a weekly practice. Center your life around that. Do not center your life around sports, hunting, knitting, uno, whatever your thing is. Center your life around what is true and beautiful and right and make that the greatest hope, the thing you throw everything else in the garbage for is for that one thing. Set your mind on reality. I believe that's how we kind of walk in this repentance piece, in this turning to reality. But how do we believe? What does functional belief look like? Last thing, it's unconditional obedience. It's unconditional obedience. Let's go back to our lawyer who told us Uncle Murray. If that lawyer said, okay, you have $10 billion, but you have to go here this day, you have to sign this, you have to wear this, you have to say this, I promise you, I would do all four things very well. Because I would believe on the backside of that there's something greater. The greatest form of trust is your yes. It's obedience. That's the greatest form of trust, church. And this is when the, the church, friends, starts getting supernatural. Ugh. Starts getting crazy. You know why there's a crazy Asian in my house? Because Tracy said yes eight years ago. That's why. That's why. It's a beautiful, I mean, she is, she's beautiful. But it's because Tracy said yes. One of the greatest gifts of my life started with Tracy and her closet saying yes to God. What are you saying no to? 
What is the gift? What is the blessing? What is the thing? What is the money? What is the person? What is the thing that you are saying no to that God is saying yes to? It's on that side where it's the life on the redemptive edge. It's the grace. It's a great adventure, right, friends? It's, that's what it is. The thing that your heart longs for, the movies you watch, hey, men, the movies you watch, whether it's Marvel or Braveheart, where you're like, yes, go, yes, go. That's not just for them, friends. You're saying yes to God is the greatest act of warriorness, of battlehood, of manhood you could ever say. Let your yes be full and secure. It's not a wobbly chair. When you say yes, you are sitting in something. It might be dangerous. It might be scary. It will mean sacrifice, but I promise you this. What you lose, you will gain much more reward, friends. So, friends, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's turn to reality. Let's rely on Jesus. But imagine this. Oh, it didn't move. It moves. Rely on Jesus. Imagine this. Let's we need a building, guys. A building stuff doesn't move. Imagine this for a moment. And this is, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Luke, not knowing this, challenged me on why I'm still doing pastoral ministry. He was talking to this guy and said this thing, like, man, I need to like wrestle with God on that because I've been doing this for a long time. And full disclosure, you get jaded. You, you see good things, you see bad things, you see average things. You get a bit jaded. I came back to, to why. And, and this was my why is I want to see you become a disciple of Jesus. And as you, as a disciple of Jesus, what I want, as you say your yes, what you're going to do is go make a disciple of Jesus. And as we, friends, all make a disciple of Jesus, as we turn to reality and we rely on Jesus, we just say yes. And we make disciples who make disciples who then go and do this thing in the community and they go to this country and then plant this church. What happens is, is God's kingdom comes here on earth, correct? As we say yes. As we say yes, as we sit back and we sit in him, God can change our city. And that's why we're here. It's what we're doing. And so my question today is this. The kingdom of God is near. The good news is right in front of you. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, forgive me for yelling so much today. But thank you for giving me a reason to yell. Um, I, the fact that we get to come together and sing about what you've done, that for some reason you let me rant about what you, get to, what you do, Father, is such a privilege and a blessing. And so I, I'm going to ask this just really clear request right now, Father. As we have prayer team in the back, as people have cards in their hand, and the Holy Spirit at work right now. Here's what I ask, as I, I believe through your word, the, the gospel has been really clear to us today, Father. Here, here's my, my ask. Help people turn. Help people repent and help people to sit back and believe today. Whether it's the first time or the thousandth time. Help all of us take that step and move in hearts. I love you, Jesus. I ask, I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, as we close, we're going to take communion. But I, will, I do have to say this. As we hear a message that, that says the good news is here, repent and believe. As a pastor, um, I would be doing wrong if I didn't say there, I believe there's people in this room 
that haven't yet for even the first time repented and believed in the good news. And I believe that today literally could be the day for you. And if that's you, I, we would love to talk to you in the back or pray with you or write on a card and we'll follow up. But don't let that pass you by today. Or, or maybe you have heard this now for going on 30-something years. And this be your thousandth repentant belief. Hear this. Your father is not tired of you coming back again and again. The father delights in you coming back. And I promise you, your father is already there. He's saying, look up. Look at me. Come back to him. Repent and believe. And we get to do that today as we declare it at the table. Right? As you talk to God, even in your seat right now, when you do work with him and repent, or maybe you're writing a card for help or this or that, or talk about the prayer, and then you come and you literally partake in the broken body of Jesus as he identified with us, correct? And then we partake in, in the juice, in the blood, because he overcame for us through his blood and through his It's a sufficient sacrifice, correct? So we literally get to enjoy and remember what he did through this. But I will tell you this, if you have never repented and believed, if you're still kind of asking questions, then this isn't for you. It's not a thing for you. It's for the people of God. This is a time for you to ask questions and wrestle or come talk to somebody. But if you're of Christ, do your work with him and then come and partake. Come when you're ready.